Jewish-centric. It was the Jews and everybody else. They didn't count. We're the ones chosen by God. Uh, and there seems to be that mentality in much of the world. And so God was making a point in breaking in, and it took something pretty dramatic. It took Peter having a vision three times. Do you think sometimes you're slow? <laughs> you have a vision, that's not good enough. <laughs> Gives you the same one again. If, let me tell you, if you get a vision three times, then you probably should pay attention. Lord, thank you that your word leads us in truth and your spirit guides us. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you guide us today? We open our hearts to you. Sorry, that was a burp. No. <laughs> Sorry. I try to be serious sometimes. It just doesn't work. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. For in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness, and through his name, whoever believes in his name will receive remission of sin. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They asked him to stay a few days. As you read that, it's a story, but it's indicative. When the Holy Spirit poured out, Peter had been telling them about Jesus, and he got to the point where it says, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. First time he tells them what to do. They're sitting there waiting. He says this, and they must have responded in their heart. They must have said, I believe, because the Holy Spirit then was poured out upon them. It wasn't everything else he said. It was that point. Carry on. This is Tim's word today. This is about the third time. Carry on. Carry on. 
Keep, keep me going, Tim. And so we see their response. Obviously, God's whole point in this whole thing was to make them understand, make Peter and the Jews understand that God shows no partiality. Because if you read farther along, he goes back and there is this whole thing where the, the, the leaders in Antioch didn't respond well and uh, they, it took them a while to believe. Uh, but somewhere along here, I'm sorry, I missed it. I misplaced it, but it said... When they had those who were scattered, we talked about a couple weeks ago, they went and preached in the gospel, but they only preached to the Jews. They had this bias. We're only going to people who are like us. And so God had to break that because his focus was much bigger. And so I think the key is that in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That word partiality means one who takes sides. So God doesn't take sides. Partiality is showing favoritism. So God doesn't show favoritism. Showing bias or discrimination. God doesn't do that. The word in the Greek, partiality, is translated partiality, is actually from two words, and it means to receive or to accept face. Basically, I, I believe what I see. It's an outward appearance thing. And so we can be biased when we perceive that somebody is like something because of the outward. You know the old saying, you can't tell a book by its cover. Yet that's exactly what we do. And that's what this is about. Let me throw you a couple of the scriptures in here to lay the foundation. Deuteronomy Chapter 10, in verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. He's talking about how great God is, and the point that, that is made is that God shows no partiality. He administers justice for the fatherless, the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Back over the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. From verse 27. Says, For as many as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither, new, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither new nor geek. <laughs> Sorry. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. So there's something that changes when we come to Christ. And one more, Colossians chapter 3 from verse 10. Uh, says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And we're putting on Christ. Which, interesting, was all about what this morning was about, huh? Uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew. They got the order backwards through me. <laughs> circumcised, 
nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. I went, what in the world is a Scythian? So I looked it up. They're the, the worst barbarians of the barbarians. <laughs> That's really what it means. I mean, they were so bad that they actually were, were the ones that, there's the barbarians who are terrible, but then there's the really bad barbarians who are the Scythians. So there's, there's no, God doesn't see that. Slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I think that's the key. But just back in 1 Samuel, we see something of God's declaration of himself and something about that we need to understand. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It was here this morning. This is the story God sends Samuel, the prophet, and, and says he's going to appoint a king. And uh, he tells Jesse to bring all his sons. Uh, and verse 6, it was that when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at, or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's stating two things. He's stating that God sees the heart, but he's also stating that man, in his unsafe condition, looks at the outward. There is something that we are caught up in appearance. I reread this week uh, part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And one line he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's the dream of mankind, but it doesn't happen without Jesus. We can dream it. But it doesn't happen. All you have to do is look at the states. 50 years after Martin Luther King, and it's still divided. So why is this so emphasized? Why does the book of Acts, God, take a whole chapter to point out that he's not partial? Because I think we need to understand that only in Christ is it possible. See, we see division. Matthew 24, 7 says, talking about the last days, says, uh, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That word nation is actually ethnic group. Ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Do we see that in the world today? We've seen that for thousands of years. The only place where it's different is where Christ is all and in all. Why is that? Bottom line is that the world is self-centered. See, we can say, I have a dream. We can say, all you need is love. But until you deal with the self-centered heart, it doesn't work. It's just a dream. 
I heard someone once say that uh, before we come to Christ, all of us are like people with an empty cup looking for someone else to fill it. Self-centered, what will you do for me? Come fill my cup. You know the old, old song, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Without Jesus, I would sing it like this. Fill my cup, Mary. I lift it up, Mary. Mary, come quench this thirsting of my soul. She can't carry the weight of that. Nobody can carry the weight of expecting someone to fill your cup. It's amazing that the very premise of selfishness is I can be selfish, but nobody else can. Right? You have to actually fill my cup. You actually have to serve me. You have to exist for me. But I'm the only one who gets to be selfish. And so I think that the point is that only in Christ can we be transformed from selfishness to love. See, changing government, changing philosophy, changing ideology doesn't deal with the human heart. Only Christ can do that. Only he can transform us from selfishness to love. But what's love? The Bible's concept is love is choosing another's highest. The opposite of love is not hatred, it's selfishness. It's choosing my own highest. So when we talked a few weeks back about the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the main difference between them is that the kingdom represents the king. God is love, so the kingdom of God is saturated and represents love, but the kingdom of darkness, whose ruler is the devil, actually is uh, exemplified or emphasized on selfishness. What does that mean for us? Romans chapter 12. One of these lines here that we often just pass over quickly. It says this, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to change that based on what we just said to this. Don't be overcome by selfishness but overcome selfishness with love. The whole world around us is selfish. That weighs in on us. That tries to mold us into an image. That tries to conform us to that that image. And if we're not careful, we give out until we're empty, and pretty soon we can get our focus in the wrong place and become just as selfish as everyone else. When it says don't be overcome by evil, it's not saying that you become evil. It's simply that you get overwhelmed by selfishness rather than walking in love. So, what do we need? Bottom line is that every day 
We need a fresh outpouring of the love of God in our hearts. See, this isn't a message about just be loving. You can't. Outside of Christ. Romans 5.5 says the Holy Spirit pours the love of God in our hearts. Love isn't a doctrine only. It's an experience. As I've told you, I was raised in an evangelical church. Everything was doctrine. Everything was principle. We had no sense of God filling us. We had no sense of experiencing Why do we put such an emphasis on worship? Because in worship, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise, we come to his presence, and he can pour his love in our hearts. It's his presence that makes us different. It's not how hard we try to do something. Worship without the presence of God is just singing around a campfire. But it's not just singing a few songs, it's living a life of worship. It's daily coming into his presence. So he keeps us full so we can pour love on others rather than being conformed to the selfishness of the world. And obviously the greatest expression of love is the gospel. John 3.16, for God so loved Tim that he gave his only begotten son that if Tim would believe in him, he'd not perish but have everlasting life. Put your name in there. We just shared communion. It's about Jesus taking our place in love. The greatest expression, if love is a choice for another's highest, I'm going to get in trouble here because I want want you to understand something. Tolerance is a cheap counterfeit of love. You've got to tolerate. If if you would, would love me, then you would just accept me how I am. But what if you're about to walk off a cliff and die? Well, I just accept you how you are. No, love is a choice for someone else's highest. You can do everything you can to try and stop them. Not because you don't accept them, not because you're unloving, but, but by reducing it to tolerance, we move away from love to just, hey, everyone's fine, just do whatever you're going to do. But if we're actually out of relationship with God, the most loving thing we can is to tell someone the gospel. Well, see, we get pushed into the evil of the world. Someone once said uh, in a debate, he who defines the terms wins. And so we're letting the world define the terms. Love, in the world's concept, is to just accept everyone as they are. No, love is choosing someone's highest. It's trying to help uh, save them from falling off the cliff. You still with me? Yes. So, 
gathering together like this isn't just about hearing the word or singing a few songs. It's not about restating our Christian convictions. It's actually about coming into his presence. And when we do, if we open up our hearts, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into us. As Michael shared early on, just uh, we can come with heaviness. We can come with hurt. We can come with whatever our week has been. But we can pour, put that off and put on a garment of praise, which is what? I'm choosing to enter his presence with his gates with thanksgiving and his course with. I'm choosing to come into his presence. And then he can pour into me. So we're going to do that. <laughs> Tim's going, oh, we are? <laughs> Tim is probably the, one of the most wonderful guys. I always throw, throw these things at him, and he just <laughs> smiles. And... When we recognize who God is, when we recognize that Jesus has already made a way, and that's why I think, you know, as we were singing that song earlier, he has paid the debt. He has cleansed us. That means that we can come into his presence. That's what it was about. And as we do, he then can pour his love into our hearts so that we're not overwhelmed by the, the world. We're not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil. What's going to change the world? John Lennon actually had it right. He had no idea how to get there, though. All you need is love. But the love that comes from God. The love that empowers us. The love that heals us. The love that restores us. The love that takes away the heaviness. The love that fills our cup so that we can actually pour out for others. Otherwise, we're always looking, I'll do something for you, but what are you going to do for me? becomes a contract. As long as you meet my needs, I'll meet yours. So, I don't know what we're going to sing here, but uh, why don't we stand? <laughs> Tim doesn't know either. He who was